Well, if you'd like to turn to 2 Samuel chapter 22, we're going to be looking at uh, these verses. They are uh, some of David's final words. Uh, so David dies uh, in a few chapters' time, so we're right at the very end of his life. But they say that the careers of sports managers and political um, uh, characters finish in failure. They have either voted out of office or they fail uh, and they have a series of bad results uh, and so they are forced out of their roles and they are squeezed out of their positions. Well, King David quite unusually really finishes on, on a high really, particularly spiritually. Uh, it's uh, noticeable that uh, he wants to praise the Lord at the end of his life. He has fallen terribly on numerous occasions throughout his life. Uh, famously, we think of the situation with Bathsheba and Uriah. Uh, and even right at the very end of his life, he becomes proud and we have the problem with the census. And yet, we see that there are evidence of God's grace in his life. He shows grace in chapter 19 towards Shimei, who wanted to destroy him. He puts his house in order uh, in chapters 19 to 21. He deals with political enemies, people who have a vengeance and have an issue with Israel because of what Saul did. And there's a degree of peace and a degree of security at the end of David's life. And crucially, he still wants to praise God. He still wants to worship his saviour. Because he has known God's protection, God's deliverance. He has known God's forgiveness again and again. Now, originally, 1 and 2 Samuel were one book in the Hebrew Bible. You only have the book of Samuel. And so if you take 1 and 2 Samuel as one book, it's significant that the book begins with a song of praise. Hannah miraculously conceives and she has a son. Samuel, and so she praises the Lord. And then chapter 22, there is also a song of praise. And these songs bracket everything that comes in between. There are wars, there are battles, ambushes and betrayals and failures and misery and sorrow. And yet the book of Samuel, when and to Samuel, begin and finish with a song of praise. Chapter 22 is clearly significant in scripture. It is repeated. It is there in Psalm 18. And right at the very end of his life, then David refers to this psalm, which he wrote earlier. It's clear that he wrote this psalm somewhere between 2 Samuel 7 and chapter 11. So we have the covenant established with David in chapter 7. And then we have his sin with Bathsheba in chapter 11. Uh, and most commentators say that the psalm was written at some point between those two events. This is one of David's greatest hits. Musicians very rarely write their best songs late in life. Uh, they usually write their best songs younger, and then they spend their later days singing those songs again. Well, this is true of David as well. He wrote his perhaps most profound psalms earlier in his life. And now he refers back 
uh, to this um, later in life. And it's obvious that there are difficulties. Uh, so he is aware of what's gone ha and happened in his life. And so he speaks of the waves of death which surround me. The sorrows of Sheol surrounded me. The snares of death confronted me. It's not unusual if you know the Psalms. It's not unusual to hear David referring to his life in this way. David is a picture of the ultimate king of kings. And just as the Lord Jesus was a man acquainted with sorrow and a man of grief, well, it's also true of uh, the King David that he was a man of sorrows too. Psalm 57 speaks of so storm of destruction. Psalm 22, famously, he cries out day and night. He, he cannot find rest. He, he cannot sleep. In Psalm 142, his spirit is faint within him. There is deep anguish within him. He, he feels forsaken. His bones are weak. He's become gaunt. His heart is broken. And so his description here of his life, waves of death surrounded him, snares of death confronting him. Well, these are not unusual terms. David faced anguish throughout his reign. Enemies, betrayals, he faced hostility from within Israel and outside of Israel. A siege um, was laid on him again and again. And so in David, we see a template of suffering. We see a man who suffered. Perhaps as you read these verses, whether it's in the Psalms or whether it's here in 2 Samuel chapter 22, you can identify to a certain degree with what David is going through. Perhaps, and it's certainly true, that your circumstances are very different. The context is very different. And yet perhaps there are times when you feel that there is a, a sea of destruction around you. You are aware of waves of death, the snares of death. Perhaps you feel your bones wasting away on occasions. You cannot eat, you, you cannot sleep, you cannot rest. Perhaps there's physical ill health. Perhaps there are emotional problems. Maybe there are various hostilities you have to face because of your faith. Maybe within the family, maybe outside the family. Maybe you are listening to this secretly because you're not sure how your family might respond to you tuning into a service like this. And so the emotions that David is facing here and that he is feeling are not unusual for a Christian. He might have heard people say in the past, well, if you're a Christian, then uh, we shouldn't have to expect many problems. You might have heard something of the prosperity gospel, that you will know good health and you will know good wealth and you won't have to face tragedies as long as you have enough faith. And then you won't face terrible tragedies in, in your life. And yet the reality is that the anointed servant of the Lord suffered. David suffered. We certainly see the Lord Jesus Christ suffering himself. And it's true of Christians that we are not immune 
to suffering, that there are occasions when we will face tragedies ourselves and we might say something along these lines. Well, what did David do? Well, he cried out to the Lord. In my distress, it says in verse 7, I called upon the Lord and cried out to my God. He knew where to turn. And this is one thing that makes David so very, very different to Saul. We are told on nine separate occasions that King David sought the face of the Lord. And this is what marks him out. He was a terrible sinner and he did some things which, are, which were reprehensible. And yet he cried out to the Lord. He was a man who was humbled and who knew his need for God in his life. And so he cries out to the Lord. Well, can I encourage you at home to cry out to the Lord? Whatever situation you are in this evening, can I encourage you to pray and to know that there is a God who hears. And this is what David says, I cried out and he heard my voice from his temple and my cry entered his ears. That's a remarkable reality, isn't it? That when we pray, that when we cry out, to God, the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, our prayers enter the very ears of God. And he hears and answers our prayers. Now, it's clear that some of the points don't apply directly to us. Here was a king. And so there is military language here, which reflects the context of David's time. He was facing genuine enemies. Uh, there were soldiers around him. Uh, there were battles lined up against the people of Israel. There is also some figurative language here as well. Uh, we're not going to do a full Bible study on the whole psalm. I want to focus on the second half of the psalm, which we can apply directly because it is to do with the character of God. And whatever situation we find ourselves in, whatever context, whatever century we are in, God is unchanging. And so the principles regarding God apply for people in every situation and in every age, whether you're a king or whether you're an ordinary person like us at home. The principles are the same because God is the same yesterday, today, and forever, and his love is from everlasting to everlasting. And so this is what I want to focus on this evening. David cries out to the Lord. The Lord hears his prayer. And then in the second half of the chapter, particularly then, he goes through the various ways God helped him. And there's a summary right at the very beginning of the chapter. The Lord is my rock, my fortress, my deliverer the God of my strength in whom I will trust, my shield and the horn of my salvation, my stronghold and my refuge, my saviour. You save me from violence. If this is David's greatest hit, well, these are his favourite lyrics. These are the words he often uses to describe the character of God. If you, again, know the Psalms, the rock, the fortress, the deliverer, the strength, and so on. And we see in the second half of the chapter, David really elaborating on these concepts and helping us to understand 
in what in what ways then God is these things. So there are five things I want to highlight this evening. Five qualities of God. Five things which reflect the goodness of God to his people. The first thing is that we have a God who is a lamp and light. And we see this in verse 29. You are my lamp, O Lord. The Lord shall enlighten my darkness. David is in a dark situation. He's aware, as we've seen, of the waves of death and uh, the snares of death confronting him. But in this darkness, he experiences light. God is his light. In chapter 21, David himself, the king of Israel, is described as the light of the nation. But the kings of Israel were only light in as much as they reflected God's light. You think of the moon, there is no light in the moon itself. It only reflects the light of the sun. And there is no light in any of the Old Testament kings. And the light is found as much as they reflect God. And so the people of Israel look to the king and he was meant to be their light and he was meant to be their beacon. He was meant to be their guide. But he could only do this as long as he reflected the character of God. Because God alone is the light. He alone is the lamp. And so God turns darkness into light. Isn't that a wonderful expression? The Lord shall enlighten my darkness. There are times when you and I will face darkness, when we can't see the way ahead, where our circumstances seem bleak, and we're not sure which way to go. It's as if we're in a tunnel and there is no end to that tunnel. It is dark and it is frightening. Well, on those occasions, remember, we can cry out to God and he can bring light into darkness. How does he do it? Well, he brings light through the scriptures. They are a, a lamp for our feet and light for our paths. When you're not sure which way to go, you can ask for guidance. You can ask for wisdom. You can ask God to point you to principles in his word. How should I respond to this situation? What should I say? Where should I go? Well, there is light in the word of God. There is light within the people of God. We are to encourage one another. We are to point one another to the Lord Jesus. We can learn from each other's experiences and, and glean various insights that we have learned over the years. And so there is light to be found within the church of Christ as we are together, salt and light. I'm sure there are times when you have faced darkness alone and God has led you to a person who has shone light on your situation. And you're grateful to God for that person. The Holy Spirit within us guides us. And so David is aware that the true source of light is God himself. So often we can turn to all sorts of other sources. We want wisdom. We want to know the way ahead. We want help in our various problems. 
Well, let us not forget that God can enlighten our darkness. And so let us cry out to him. When we are worried, when we are anxious, when there are dark days ahead, when we go through the valley of the shadow of death, remember that what appears dark to us is as light to him. And so God can bring light into a dark situation. The second thing is that he is a God who gives power. And we see this in verse 30. For by you, I can run against a troop. By my God, I can leap over a wall. David wasn't naturally a strong man. His brothers were more impressive than he was. Remember Jesse, when he was told to find a suitable king, didn't even think about David. He thought of the older brothers. David was neglected. He was the, the, the young brother. There was nothing impressive. Saul was far more impressive physically. And then you think of Goliath, that great giant. And you think of some of the enemies that David had to face as king. Well, naturally, he would have been devoured. He would have been destroyed. And yet God surprised him. I can run against a troop. I can leap over a wall. God empowered him. God gave him strength to do what perhaps he would not have been able to do naturally. There's a, a minister in West Wales. He grew up quite a difficult upbringing, it seems, and he went through school and he never learned to read. And he became a Christian and quite early on in his Christian life, he felt a call to the ministry. He felt called to go to Bible college. And he still could hardly read. But God empowered him and God strengthened him. Gave them a willpower and the ability to learn to read. And he flourished in Bible college. And he was able to debate and argue the case for the truth of scripture. And he became a, a pastor where he's done wonderful work and God has blessed him. There's another pastor in North Wales with problems with his eyesight as a child, a severe stammer. He became a pastor and felt called to an isolated community where people said that God has never blessed before and a spiritual wilderness where nothing can surely happen. And if God has blessed him and he's been a pastor there now for, for about 40 years. A church which he planted, which has been established and many have come to faith. God surprises his children. He gives power. I can do all things through him who strengthens me. The Fijian rugby team have that emblazoned on their jerseys. Well, let us always remember that God can give us the ability to run against a troop, to leap over a wall. How did you feel back in March when the lockdown measures were first introduced? How will I cope? Twelve weeks cut off from my children. Being alone, no contact with others, not being able to go to the church building. It's five months later now, and you might have thought, well, uh, how will I cope? Perhaps you felt real anxiety at the time, perhaps 
you were facing a, a loss in the family, anything, how will I cope? Well, you can look back and you see that God has empowered you. He has strengthened you. You have kept going. How did you cope? How have you been able to stand and still stand strong today, five months later? Well, God's spirit has been within you and Christ has been praying for you. Because we have a God who gives us power. We have a God who strengthens us so that we can face challenges that we can face spiritual opposition when those times come when we can face hostility if those situations happen and when we see suffering around us god gives us comfort and so can i encourage you then to remember what perhaps you have gone through the last few months how have you come through this time well god has been with you and so he will continue to be with you for the weeks and months ahead. And he will allow you to run. And he will allow you to leap over a wall and to overcome the obstacles which you might face. The third thing we see in these verses is a God who is a rock and refuge. Verses 31 and 32. God's way is perfect. The word of the Lord is proven, and you might have been blessed over the last few months hearing God speak to you. I've spoken with brothers and sisters who've heard God speaking to them in a wonderful way through the scriptures, and they've been aware of his presence with them. Well, his God and his word is always perfect and proven, and he is a rock, and he is our refuge. This is David's favourite description of God, a rock and refuge. We've seen how fragile humanity is over the last few weeks and months. We've seen how fragile the things we usually build our lives upon are. The economy has shrunk. Holidays have been cancelled. Family members have been cut off from us. Our health, perhaps, has proven to be weak and we are vulnerable. And we're aware that, just as Psalm 103 says, we are dust. God knows how we are formed. We are unreliable and we know that uh, we are mortal. We crumble easily. And yet God does not change. He is a rock. He is a refuge. And throughout all of the changes of the last few weeks and months, and all the changes are, are yet to come, God will not change. He is the same yesterday, today and forever. And his love is the same from everlasting to everlasting. He has not gone anywhere. He has not changed. And his promises have not changed either. As I said, David sought the face of the Lord on nine occasions. And he knew God's help and his guidance at those times. And this is what we have, of course, in the book of Psalms, where there is a crisis. And so he turns to the Lord in prayer and he goes through his problems and he's reminded of the character of God. And he knows that that God will not fail him, that God will not let him down or abandon him. And the promises of the scriptures still apply to us. The words of God himself are as a rock 
Philippians 4, do not be anxious about anything, but in all things, in prayer and thanksgiving, make your requests known to God. The peace of God which transcends all human understanding will guard your hearts and minds in the Lord Jesus. He promises us peace. He promises strength. Jesus is praying for you. He is interceding for you that your faith would not fail. We have a promise that the Holy Spirit also intercedes for us when we don't know what to pray for. We have the Holy Spirit who helps us and guides us. We know that there is total forgiveness of our sins in the Lord Jesus. That God will complete a good work which he has begun. That no one can snatch us from the hands of the Father or the Son. All of these wonderful promises which are truly depend reliable and we can depend upon because God himself is a rock and so his word is a rock and we can find refuge there again can I encourage you to know that while everything else might crumble around you while the mountains might quake uh, and the sea might uh, be uh, full of waves and worrying scenes Remember that God is a rock who does not change. You can pray to him. You can know peace. You can know refuge in God himself. The fourth point, similar in a way to uh, the previous point, is that we have a God who enables. And we see this in verse 34. He makes my feet like the feet of deer and sets me on my high places. Again, you get the impression that David was surprised by all that God did through him. That he was able to sidestep the enemy. He was able to, we're told here, form uh, bows and arrows. He was given the ability to transfer his, his skills as a shepherd onto the battlefield. And he's able to develop skills and gifts. God not only gave him power and strength, but he also gave him skills for the work which he had been called. God gives skills to his people. He gave skills to his people to build a tabernacle at the time of the Exodus. He gave skills to rebuild the temple walls at the time of Nehemiah and Ezra. He gave skills to the early church to go and to preach the gospel and to make the Lord Jesus known across the Mediterranean region. God gives gifts at the appropriate time. I'm sure we've learned skills of the last few weeks and months to speak into a laptop or a phone, to master YouTube and Zoom. Who would have thought that we would have to develop these skills? You might be thinking about your family. I want to be able to share the gospel with my family members. I want to be the sort of person who can speak the word of God into my context. I want to be the sort of person who can apply the word of God correctly. When things are tough or when things are difficult or when people are asking questions, I want to be able to articulate things clearly. I want to know how to stand firm, maybe I'm starting back in school or, or college thinking of going back to the workplace and think I want to be able to be useful to God and for the kingdom. 
and you're aware that you need gifts to do this, to stand strong, to be able to speak clearly, to be able to develop all sorts of various gifts. Well, God helps us. If you want to honour the Lord, if you want to seek his, his glory, then he will help you to do this. Can I encourage you to be bold, to ask him to guide you and to lead you and to be surprised by the way he will, in which he will use you. When I started as a student, I was the only Christian in the halls of residence. I was quite a timid, quiet uh, young man, really. And thinking, how can I be useful to God in the kingdom? And aware of God's guidance, enabling me to speak for him uh, in those times. And I remember in the Christmas meal, having a group of eight or nine uh, rugby boys around me asking questions about the Lord Jesus and be able to give some sort of answer. God will surprise us. He will allow us to run like a deer uh, or to be able to forge a bow of bronze. He will give you what you need if you want to bring glory to God. And so what have we seen here? We've seen God who is a light and lamp, a God who gives us wisdom, who gives us discernment and understanding in times of need. A God who gives us power, who strengthens us to persevere, to keep going through times of hardship. A God is our rock and refuge. A God to whom we can turn in prayer. And he does not change. And his word does not fail. A God who enables, who gives us gifts and skills in order to bring glory to him. And finally, he is a God who delivers. Verse 44, you have delivered me from the strivings of my people. Now, of course, David is referring to a physical enemy. But we think of the spiritual enemies, and particularly sin itself. And we can rejoice this evening that God delivers us from sin itself. By the Lord Jesus Christ, we are delivered from the penalty of sin. The Lord Jesus died that we might no longer face condemnation, that we might be set free to know God and to have peace with God today. We are set free from the power of sin. We can't be held captive by the enemy of sin anymore. They can't overwhelm us. They can't overcome us. We have the Holy Spirit who lives and dwells within us. We have the word of God to guard us. We have God's ability to give us grace to persevere and to overcome temptation. We can now say no to ungodliness. We can fight the good fight with God's power. We can be delivered from the powers of sin as well. Not just the power of sin, but the powers of sin. When the enemy around us, those who would be hostile to the faith, would oppose us, we can know God's power and presence and a perspective on life to know that we will be safe in eternity and that our names are written in a book of life, whatever happens in this life. And ultimately, he will deliver us from the power and the presence of sin itself. 
when there will be a new heaven and a new earth. And we will see that God has delivered us from death, despair, destruction. And we will be in the presence of Christ himself in a place of beauty and peace, paradise, where there will be no disease, no sin, no death. We have a God who delivers us by the Lord Jesus Christ. In his grace, he protects us and keeps us safe. And so the chapter finishes. The Lord lives. Blessed be my rock. Let God be exalted, the rock of my salvation. We read some verses which are applicable to him as a king on the battlefield. But this desire to worship and to praise God is there till the very end. So can I remind you of the character of God? He is a light and lamp. He is a God who gives power. He is our refuge and rock. He is a God who enables and he's a God who delivers. As David says at the beginning of the chapter, he is my rock, my fortress, my deliverer, my strength, my shield, my salvation, my stronghold and refuge. Do you see why I say David finished well? He didn't finish well because of his abilities. We know how many times he fell. I know God kept him till the very end, because he had promised to keep him. And right at the very end of his life, he knows that God has not changed, and God is worthy of blessing and honour and worship. And so can I encourage all of us who are listening this evening to remember this as well. We have a God who deserves to be worshipped because we can trust in him, and he will always be good. He will always be faithful to you. And if you come in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, he will bless you and shine his face upon you. So let us all ask God to help us to keep running the race. We don't know what the next few weeks and months have in, in store for us, but we trust that God will not change. And so these promises will continue to apply. 2 Samuel chapter 22, or Psalm 18, can I commend them to you? And can I commend the God who wrote these words and the God to whom they testify? Let us worship this God to finish. We'll sing with our, uh, we'll finish with our final hymn, 784. If you have a hymn book, uh, it's Take My Life and Let It Be Consecrated, Lord, to Thee. Take my moments and my days, let them flow in ceaseless praise. This was true of David till the very end. Regardless of all that he'd gone through, God in his grace restored him. Uh, and so when you read his words, well, there is ceaseless praise. Let's be those people who want to offer our lives to our God because he has been so kind and faithful to us in the Lord Jesus. Seven hundred. Take my life and let.
for nothing, but in everything by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God, and may the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, guard our hearts and minds through Christ Jesus. Amen. <laughs>